we learn that there are some behaviors, some desires and tendencies of the flesh that must needs be completely eliminated out of our lives. Amen. Things that do not belong in the life of a Christian. There are the behaviors, desires, and tendencies of the flesh that cannot be completely eliminated, but they have to be kept under control. Amen. Like food. Amen. That's one of them. There are still other behaviors, desires, and tendencies of the flesh that for some must be completely eliminated, and for others it's possible that they may be kept under control. Today we're going to talk about how that controlling some of this fleshly behavior can actually be accomplished. Last week I left you with three things that Christians can do to actually get our flesh under control. The first one is learn to walk in the Spirit. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's our subject for today. Galatians 5 and 16 says, Paul said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Last week was about what needs to be done. This week is about how to do it. So, you know what needs to be done. Well, let's get down to what it's going to take to get it done. As the message wound down, I shared with you those three things that a Christian can actually do to help us defeat this great enemy, which is our flesh. There are three times in the book of Matthew and Luke that Jesus told us to love our enemies. I find it somewhat ironic that the one enemy we all seem to love is our flesh. We do. I mean, we, we baby the flesh like nothing else. The real solution, however, is right there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is no lightweight undertaking. Today we're going to learn how to get started. First thing we need to do to address what it means to be is what it means to be in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. In the Spirit means that you are saved. That means that you are born again. It means that you are redeemed, forgiven, justified, and many other terms that are all used in the Bible to refer to what God did when you placed your trust in Jesus. Now, if you have not done that, you're not in the Spirit. Let me read it to you. I don't think you can possibly miss this definition from the Scriptures. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but, there it is, in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Certainly no one can walk in the Spirit if you're not first in the Spirit. That makes sense? This is not rocket science. This is pretty simple, really. Galatians 5, starting with verse 16, Paul said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. 
Remember when we read from Paul's own testimony how he couldn't do the things that he really wanted to do because flesh kept him from it. He said, but if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. How many of you here today either prayed a prayer or asked Jesus to save you or you got baptized or you joined a church or were part of some organized religion before, before you truly understood the gospel and put your trust in Jesus to save you? That happened to any of you? Almost everybody here. You, uh, you have to realize something. Most people are where you were back then. There's nothing more frustrating nor anything more doomed to failure than someone who is not really saved trying to live for God. It cannot be done. It's just the most frustrating thing you could possibly undertake. You probably remember what that was like. It was not a fun way to live, was it? Therefore, the first step in getting your flesh under control is always going to be to make sure that you are really saved. You remember what it was like to think that you were, but you weren't. Being saved transformed your spirit. It gave your spirit eternal life. It made you alive inside and more. However, getting saved did absolutely nothing for your flesh. Nothing. I'm going to read John 6 and verse 63. Here's what Jesus said about it. He said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. That word means made alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You see, saved people know that they're saved. And we can tell you how we know that we're saved. 1 John 5 and verse 13, Paul, or John says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. I'm not guessing that I have. I'm not got my fingers crossed and hoping that I have it. I know I have it. Amen. And you can know that you have it. Amen. Our salvation is provable. And furthermore, we're commanded to prove it. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, contrary to most Christian practice, Knowing and proving that you're saved is not something that can be properly done in five minutes up here at the front of the church at the end of a preaching service. It takes a little time and a little study. And if you'll allow us, we'll spend the time to teach you and you can know for sure. Once you're truly in the spirit, you're really saved. That's what it means to be in the spirit. You read it just like I did. Once you're truly in the Spirit, now God says, walk. Walk in the Spirit. I'm going to try to make this as simple and easy to understand as I can. As a pastor, I have been blessed with an amazing and beautiful wife who stands with me in the work of the Lord. She helps me in many ways. 
some you probably don't know about. One particular talent with which God has blessed our partnership <coughs> is that she has a very high level of literary skill. She's the best proofreader you've ever met. Some of you that have written things that she's had to proofread, proofread she's found problems and errors that you just never even saw. Spelling and grammatical errors stand out to her like they were highlighted with a yellow highlighter or something. When preparing to deliver God's message, I try to always use just the right word, if I can, to that correctly conveys the proper thought. Words matter. They do. I often run those things by my wife when I'm looking for just the right word. One time, I was asking her, as I was writing an introduction to a sermon, I asked her, I said, what is the definition of irony? And she said, it's the opposite of wrinkly. <laughs> it was cute, but it didn't help me much. Walk is the opposite of standing still, isn't it? Walk is the transition from standing still to running. It's moving, it's doing, it is active, it's not passive. It's forward motion, it's positive movement. Walking in the spirit is walking, it's moving, it's going and it's doing in and under the leadership of the spirit of God. And just so you don't get spirit leadership with, mixed up with all the deceitful feelings of the heart, we have something given to us by the Lord to help us in that. We have the Word of God, which is written by, guess who? The Holy Spirit of God. And we can check it and to see that the leadership really is from the Spirit of God, not just from our deceitful heart. Walking in the Spirit works just like another similar but even more mistaught and misunderstood term. And that term, you've heard it, is called praying in the Spirit. You've heard about that, haven't you? Ephesians 6 and verse 18, Paul writes, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do you know the difference between prayer and supplication? Supplication is prayer. But prayer might not be a supplication. Prayer is all communication with God. That's two ways. Supplication is when you're asking for stuff. It's that particular kind of prayer. There is an entire movement out there based on the idea that praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues or in a language that the one praying doesn't understand. Back in years and years ago when the gift of tongues had not yet ceased but was being grossly misused in the church at Corinth, here's what the Apostle Paul said about it. He said in 1 Corinthians 14, chapter, uh, 14, verse number 12, he says, Even so, for as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, 
Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. He says, Wherefore let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Paul said, For if I or if I were to pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? Well, the answer is unfruitful. He says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. I've wondered, how come nobody out there in those kinds of churches wants to sing in tongues? Based on what we surely know about our own flesh and what we know about the devil... When you pray, you had better know exactly what you're saying. Amen. Praying in the Spirit is nothing more complicated than praying according to the known will of God, which is recorded for us in the Word of God, which was delivered to us and for us by the Spirit of God. There's a third factor to walking in the Spirit that we should not leave unaddressed. And that is what to avoid. As we walk, even walking in or according to the Spirit, there are many destructive forces to avoid that may not easily be detected. For example, every one of us has what the Bible refers to as besetting sin or sins these are sins that trouble you more than other sins trouble you. When I teach Bible classes, when we're on this subject, I tell people that I haven't had any trouble murdering people this week. Now, murder is sin, but I haven't had any trouble with that. I haven't even wanted to do it. Even when I'm in traffic, I haven't wanted to do it. Unlike some of you who kind of felt like that when you were being cut off in traffic. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12 says about this particular kind of sin. It says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed, that means surrounded, about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight, and here it is, the sin which doth so easily beset us. Those sins which capture you easily, which you have more trouble with than any other sin. And you know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. We all, we all deal with it, every one of us. Like You'll be praying, Lord, take this evil from my life. Please, Lord, save me from this horrible besetting sin and mean it with all your heart. And then even before you finish praying, you, you will have made plans for the next time or place that you're going to be involved in that same thing. Ow. Yeah. It is ouch. You're praying, Lord, take it away, while you're actually at the same time either driving to the party or to the liquor store or to the drug dealer or you're lighting up. At the same time. You see how this works? Every saved person here knows exactly what I'm talking about. The more you pray about it, the more you hate it, the more you think about it, the more you do it. 
Do you know why that is? It's because of what the Bible tells us and warns us about in Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Ephesians 2 and chapter 3, uh, chapter 2 verse 3 says uh, that we go about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Your flesh follows your mind. Whatever your mind is on, even if you're praying about it or even if you're thinking about how much you hate it, that is where your flesh is want to go. That's how it works. Your solution is not to get your mind off of the bad, although that's what you've got to do. The solution is to get your mind on something else. Get your mind on something good that will replace the evil that your flesh desires. We would be far better off to never pray about or even think about the things we shouldn't be doing. We'd be way better off. What is the best way to deal with your besetting sin? Well, that's good. The best way to deal with your besetting sin is to forget about it. God has. He's paid for it. Just get busy doing right things and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Get busy doing what God wants you to do and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's how walking in the Spirit works. It's just that simple. I understand that chemical dispendencies like tobacco and drugs and alcohol, those sins that have evolved into an actual physical disease, those things, we, we need to have that side addressed as well. Forgetting your sin is not so easy, and that's why you have to have a plan. You know how much, uh, those of you in my Bible class know how much we love the Proverbs. I mean, we spent the last four years studying the Proverbs. You got to like something a lot to spend four years studying it, right? Proverbs 16, verse 3 tells us how this works. It says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. We need to get busy and stay busy doing good things and get in the practice of thinking about and focusing on those good things that we're doing. You can't really focus fully on a whole bunch of different things at once. You need to focus on doing the things that God's called you to do. You know, uh, serving the Lord should be, always be at the top of our to-do list. Don't you think? you think? I think that's about right. I don't think I'd be out of order to suggesting that. But this list requires more than just the spiritual or just the religious things. If, you, if the only good things you do are the things you do here in church, you got another six days out there 
and a big part of the seventh one that probably needs some more help. There are a lot of other good things that require a focus. Working your job. Do you know your employer would be a lot happier with you if you would actually focus on what you're doing when you're on the job? How do you think? What do you think about that, Daryl? Would you like your guys to actually be focused on what they're doing? I, I really hope that my guys are too. They'll have more fingers to use. This isn't question time, Glenn. I'll have to deal with you later. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says this. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Working your job, mowing your grass, changing your oil. Some of y'all still do that. Daryl does it. Well, maybe. No, he probably doesn't. Art work. Painting, music, fixing stuff. Why do you think the Bible commands us to work with our hands? Again, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, And that you study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Clean recreation, like hunting and fishing and boating and camping and shooting and archery and sports like softball and pickleball of all things, even golf. Uh, well, maybe not golf, but all these things are great as long as they are in balance and do not place you in a position of being influenced and led down the very road you're trying to avoid. You know, uh, there are a lot of good things to do that can keep your focus off the junk that needs to be removed from your life. A lot of good things. Getting your flesh under control is a, what we call a proactive endeavor. Walking in the spirit is a proactive endeavor. Many Christians, perhaps some of you, have become complacent, living a defeated life, just waiting for Jesus to come. When you could be living a victorious life walking in the Spirit. Which one do you think the Lord wants for us? I know He wants, to, I know he wants us to welcome His coming. But there's a lot of good things that need to be done before Jesus comes. And they're going to happen when we're walking in the Spirit. That's how it works. If you are in the Spirit, are you? you? You read the definition, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Are you in the Spirit? Then don't just sit there. Get up and walk in the Spirit. It's not complicated. It's just doing good things and focusing on good things so that you can't be focused on the evil that your flesh wants. As a matter of fact, the Bible suggests that we could even run. 
I'll read it to you. Hebrews 12. This is where he talks to us about the besetting sin. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are also our compass, surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's more, and maybe it'll come next. I don't know yet for sure. But I know that walking in the Spirit is the answer to controlling our flesh. And I also know that it's not so complicated that you can't do it if you're saved. If you're saved, great. If you're not, nothing that you can do is ever going to allow you to walk in the Spirit. And we can help you with both. That's our job. Don't you remember that scripture I just read? Study to be quiet. That means to pay attention to God's word and learn when to keep your mouth shut. We could all use a little help with that from time to time, I suppose. And I think right now is my time, so we're going to stand and have an invitation. Are you going to go out of here today and let it be just like it's always been? Just waiting for Jesus to come and let the flesh get away with whatever it wants? Or are you going to get busy for the Lord? It's getting, busy, getting busy for the Lord is not just what you do in church. It's not what you do for the church. It's what you do. Doing it well, doing it right. Even, even, maybe even especially the things that you do with your own hands. God wants us to work with our hands. Ne- next time you're doing something, maybe you're, maybe you're changing a part on the car. Maybe you're fletching some new arrows that you're going, getting ready to hunt with or loading some bullets or tuning it in a rifle at the range or whatever it is. Notice, notice how, where your focus is when you're doing that. If you're wise, it ought to be on what you're doing. If you're reloading and you put twice as much powder in there as you should, you may have a problem come up later. Probably really ought to focus on what you're doing. But let me invite you to notice, just notice, what you're not doing. You're not thinking about all that garbage that if you just sit and do nothing just comes flooding in all by itself. Get focused on some good thing and let God show you how, to, how it works. It's not rocket science. It's actually pretty simple. Jesus made being saved pretty simple. He did all the work. But he also made walking in the Spirit 
pretty simple as well.